Welcome to Unconcluded. I'm Sean Gert. In this episode, we're going to correct some information you heard in a previous episode and look at a serial rapist with some interesting similarities to Jennifer Kessie's disappearance. Thanks for joining us. So let me tell you about something that I do that's kind of weird. So have you ever had a, a question or interest in a topic and you've taken to the internet and then two hours later you found yourself knee deep and more information about that topic or a question than you ever needed to know. I'm bad with this. For example, like I do this thing where sometimes I'm watching TV or a, a, you know, a TV show or a movie or something, and I feel like I recognize one of the actors or actresses, and I just have to know who the person is. So I grab my phone, and I open the uh, it's an IMDb app, if you're familiar with that, and I pull up the show, and I find the person, the actress or actor or whoever it is. And before long, I'm scrolling through all of their previous roles. I end up reading about every award that they've ever been nominated for. I've scrolled through their trivia about their dog's name or whatever else. And, you know, forget it if there's something in there about a controversy or an event in their past, because at that point I'm on Wikipedia and looking that up. And, you know, I'm an hour into it about knowledge that I don't really need. I bring this up because I've spent the last couple of weeks reading more probably than I have in the last two years. Uh, but it wasn't because I was looking up an actor or a news event. It was researching the human brain. And I know that sounds weird. I, I was looking into the limitations of the human brain. And I found myself in the FBI research archives and decade-old psychological journals and websites of all sorts. And basically, I was reading through principles of cognition and confirmation bias and memory processes and a whole bunch of other stuff. It, it was kind of overwhelming. And it all started back with this Wired column article. And Wired's kind of a, a tech magazine if you're not familiar with it. But it was called How to Improve Eyewitness Testimony. And I really don't even know how I ended up there. But from there, I ended up where I am right now, which is taking a bunch of the scientific stuff that I'm pretty much unqualified to even discuss. And now I'm thinking about it in the context of Jennifer Kessie's disappearance. And I had been researching this out of pure curiosity. And it was something that I was just kind of interested in and was going down that rabbit hole. But then last week, I learned something that really brought this home for me, I guess. And it's why I'm talking about it today. See, last week, I had sent an email to Drew. Jennifer's dad. And I was asking him something that was pretty much unrelated to any of what I was just talking about. But in our correspondence, I offhandedly had asked about what he had mentioned in a previous episode of ours. It was episode 24, which is titled Unit 2226. And it was about the knock at Jennifer's door before her disappearance. Here's a reminder if you forgot. So now there was a knock on her door that Monday night. And she believed it was her neighbor upstairs who was a guy. She didn't answer it. Um, next door to her that we found out. Now, we lived in her condo eight months after she was taken. It wasn't probably a month, two months that we were living there that we became aware that she had a pedophile living next to her. I'm like, there's no one in that apartment. Well, yeah, there's a pedophile living in that apartment. And when the detectives interviewed that pedophile, the following morning, what was their response? Oh, yeah, he was so stoned, he doesn't know anything. Yeah, he's dead now. He moved away to Texas, and he's dead. He died. 
So as you just heard in that episode, Drew had mentioned the knock being that Monday night, as in the night before she was reported missing, July 23rd, 2006. So you can imagine my surprise when Drew had emailed me back about something unrelated. But in part of that, he actually let me know that that time was not correct, that he'd actually said the wrong thing, and that the person who had been on the phone with Jennifer when the knock had occurred had actually confirmed that it was a different night just before she'd left for St. Croix, not after her return. Now, if you follow us on any of our social media, this isn't a surprise to you because I actually posted this correction to our Facebook and Instagram and Twitter right after I found out. I just didn't feel like I should wait to put it out there. It was too big of a correction, in my opinion, to wait for the episode to release. But I still want to talk about it for just a second because there was so much that had been kind of inferred from that information by so many people. And I could debate my opinion about whether it should have been or not, but it was. And it had lent itself to support for the nighttime abduction theories. It had raised questions about neighbors of Jennifer's and her condo being a potential crime scene. And learning that it likely wasn't that night, or actually that it wasn't that night, the night of her disappearance. Well, it's just obvious that a lot of those thoughts and theories now change. As I was kind of talking about earlier, it's a weird coincidence that I'd been researching these things, all this brain stuff, and then something like this would present itself. The timing couldn't have been better for me, to put it in perspective, because all this stuff was fresh in my mind. So for me, it's been a worthwhile exercise in exploring some of these thoughts, not just in relationship to this development, but all of the events surrounding Jennifer's disappearance. But that said, let's start with the knock, because that's the most pressing issue here. So the knock did not occur the night of January 23rd, but did occur another night prior to Jennifer's disappearance. So the first question we ask here is, what does that change? How do we reframe our thinking with this new information or this new shift in timeline? I think we start with what doesn't change, actually. Because there was still a knock at Jennifer's door that night. It was around 10 p.m. And it was just days before she disappeared. This knock was still odd enough that her friend that she was speaking with on the phone at the time clearly remembers it. It was odd enough that Jennifer mentioned it to her to start with. So any questions that we have about who may have been showing up at her door, I don't think those questions go away, even though the timing now isn't as suspect in regards to her disappearance. We've heard that that knock was from a male neighbor, but beyond that, not much. In our research, we do know that one of Jen's neighbors in 2006 was a pedophile who later moved and is now deceased. We don't know if it was the same neighbor or, in fact, if it was a neighbor at all, but these are the things that run through our head. Well, what it does change, the the timing of the knock, it changes the level of importance, at least in my mind. It doesn't seem nearly as relevant having occurred prior to her trip. So now we're talking days, possibly a week, before she actually left. It also means that it's removed from the timeline of Jennifer's disappearance especially considering it kind of lended itself to the idea of the nighttime abduction. It's no longer part of the narrative of what happened between the time that Jennifer arrived home from work and was never seen again. 
Is there something interfering with your happiness or that is preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, I've got something you're going to want to try. It's BetterHelp. You see, BetterHelp will address your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. Let's be clear. This is not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not even be locally available in many areas. The service is even available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Additionally, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com unconcluded that's betterhelp.com and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. We've also got a special offer for unconcluded listeners to get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com unconcluded. Again, get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by visiting betterhelp.com unconcluded. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash unconcluded. After learning this information about the timing of the knock at Jen's door from Drew, I really started thinking about all the other things that I'd been reading about memory. One in particular that stood out, and again, this isn't anything earth-chattering here. We've all probably heard variations of this before but it did stick out to me. An article on the FBI website by a Dr. Brian D. Fitch, it's titled Memory Puzzle, What Every Investigator Should Know. One specific paragraph talked about the limitations of memory for witnesses. It outlined the bombardment of stimuli in a situation and the amount of information that memory was actually able to capture. Here's a quote that kind of sums it up. Fitch says, It is nearly impossible for witnesses or victims to process simultaneously all the details of a crime, the perpetrator's description, weapon used, what someone said, or other people who are present without missing or misinterpreting important facts. And again, we've probably all been aware of this or at least heard dumbed-down versions of it on TV or in movies, but in reading the specific reasoning behind it, it really made me start to question our investigation into Jennifer Kessie. Yes, including the knock on the door, but everything else too. All the witnesses that we've talked to. And we've always talked about how witnesses can be unreliable. But if I'm being honest with myself, I always kind of looked at it a lot like black and white. Is this person telling the truth or is this person lying? Is this person just thinking they saw her, but they actually saw someone else? It was either this is exactly what happened or this didn't happen at all. 
And over the last two weeks, I think my thinking has completely changed on that point. I think more about versions of events. So yeah, the knock on Jen's door happened, but it wasn't the night we'd originally heard. And I can't help but think about this in the relationship to everything else. Remember the witness who claims to have seen Jennifer at the apartment building on the other side of the mall. She remembered seeing her the week prior, but was it? Maybe it was a month prior. Two weeks prior. Now, of course, that doesn't mean suddenly all of these things occurred and and the only thing that's different is the sense of time is warped. But to me, it brings some flexibility to the things that we've tried putting inflexible constraints on. Another example is the woman that says she saw Jennifer at the Huntington on the Green at a time that would have been after her car was dropped off. But if this becomes flexible because of these memory limitations, it could have been before. A week before. A couple days before. And of course, maybe not at all, but the flexibility is just something to think about. There's so much that goes into it. I I could spend a month reading about the confirmation bias and selective attention. Did the woman who believes she saw Jennifer's car behind the church on Oak Ridge actually see that car? Or just believe that because that was the car she was supposed to see after seeing the flyers? I mean, selective attention by itself is just such an interesting phenomenon. I actually went back and rewatched the Huntington on the Green videos several times because I wanted to watch them from the angle of not having selective attention on the actual POI. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you've probably seen the video before that is a good example of this. I've seen it many times. It shows two teams of basketball players passing basketballs. One team's wearing white jerseys and the other team's wearing black or, or dark jerseys. And you're asked to count the number of times that the white team passes the ball to each other. So you watch the video intently and you try to count. And at the end, you say how many you think there was. But the point behind the video is, is that during the video, while you were counting passes, a person dressed as a gorilla walks through the scene. And the first time I watched this video, which I believe was like way back in high school, I never even saw the gorilla. And a lot of people don't either. I think the stats say like half the people that are shown in the video don't see the gorilla the first time. So even though I know that the POI video at the Huntington on the Green has been watched a million times by a million people, I had to go back and make sure that I didn't miss a gorilla. All of this has been about looking at things from a different perspective. And my thinking has really started to change on much of it. And I can imagine I'm probably not the only one. It's time to make 2020 the year to prioritize you and commit to staying on top of your health. Instead of that laundry list of resolutions that you don't end up sticking with, Care Of can make taking your vitamins and supporting your health goals attainable. Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best today and supports you long term. Getting started with Care Of was super easy for me, and getting the package was super exciting. And I encourage you to do the same. See, Care-of is focused on the quality, science, and research that goes into each of their products and recommendations. And the individual eco-friendly packs are made of composite films, and there's tons of info on how to compost them on the Care-of site. Health is made easy thanks to Care-of's online quiz. 
See, Care-of's online quiz helps you find the vitamins and powders that will support your specific health goals this year, like improving your fitness routine or managing stress. Just take a short online quiz and answer some questions about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle, and Care-of will recommend a list of vitamins and supplements specifically for your health needs and goals. Answer easy questions like, how much do you sleep? How often do you get to work out? Do you follow any specialty diets? Are you concerned about your hair, skin, or nail length? And more. Then just follow Care-of's expert recommendations or adjust your pack at any time. What you receive is totally up to you. See, when I took the quiz, it was quick and fun. My goals were energy, immunity, and stress. I entered my diet and activity levels, and I was recommended a vitamin pack with vitamin C, D, and rhodiola, as well as some quick sticks for immunity and energy. Getting them in the mail was quick, and I've been enjoying the benefits ever since. For 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code UNCONCLUDED50. Again, take 50% off of your first care of order by going to takecareof.com and entering code UNCONCLUDED50. After I found out from Drew about the correction to the timing of the knock at Jen's door, Scott and I had to talk about it. So I, I guess we got a little bit to talk about here because I, I don't know. I kind of think we we thought of this as pretty much something that we had kind of put in the fact column. I mean, I know facts are kind of fluid, especially after all that time. But you know, we had said this pretty much happened because Drew said it happened, and I I don't know. Like, it's not. I don't want to say it's shocking to hear that it didn't happen, or at least didn't happen when we thought it happened. Uh, and but that said, it's the, at the same time, it's like, it's kind of shocking because I think just for so long now, that was just one of the kind of events that we had in the, this, this happened at this particular time column and it's not there anymore. Yeah. I think the part that I sort of, um, that shot, I guess we can use the word shock that shocked me the most in terms of this is it is one of those things when, when you have a case like this and we've talked about this for years now. When you have a case like this that has so few concrete pieces of, um, I don't want to call it evidence per se, but facts um, or or information that you sort of rely on over the years and then you, you stack other information on top of it and try to make sense of it all. When you have one of those key pieces now just didn't happen, um, well, it didn't happen the night that uh, of her disappearance, the night um, either of or before her disappearance. and so. Yeah, that's what got me a little bit is it it's sort of um discouraging in a way, but also ruling things out isn't the worst thing in the world. Um I know it's it's a strange thing to say sometimes, but you know, being able to move past something that maybe was holding things up and 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 making us focus on the wrong things and and having that now cleared away. Uh, and I know that that's how cases get solved. Sometimes you're to slowly eliminate things that aren't factual and, and don't matter. And you start to get down to the things that do. So I'm trying to put a positive spin on it in that way. I think that this can be something that's a positive in the long run. Um, right now it's a little fresh in terms of uh, the shock value of it, but um, it's not surprising, especially with something like this when there are so few things and so many 
concrete facts and evidence that it's, it, I guess it shouldn't be surprising. Yeah. And I guess I want to back up just a little bit because well, obviously we're recording this. We kind of wanted to document our thoughts, I guess, while it's still, you know, fresh in our minds. Like this happened, you know, 10 minutes ago uh, that right. we found this out. So, uh, you know, for the, for those of people that are listening uh, to the conversation that I'm obviously going to record right now and play later, uh, we're talking about the the change in the time of the knock at Jennifer's door. On our earlier podcast, he had mentioned that this had happened the Monday night uh, before her disappearance. Probably would have been, um, or it would have been January twenty third, two thousand six, the, the the night after she got home from work, but before she disappeared. But today, in an email, um, we were corresponding about some other stuff, and and, and this came up uh, that. It actually did not occur Monday night, the 23rd, but prior actually to her trip to St. Croix. Um, I, I think, and let me look here, Scott, because I want to make sure I, I've got the wording right here as far as, uh, where is it? Oh, here it is. It says, it says the knock occurred a different night just before she left. Uh, those were his exact words. So it was not Monday night. It was a different night just before she left, everything else obviously would be still relevant as far as the, the timing of it, the fact that there was a, a knock at her door. But, and you were kind of alluded to this, it does kind of wipe away some of the importance that we were putting on it because of the timing changes. It's not now during the time when she had possibly, uh, you know, whenever the events of that night occurred, it didn't happen right before that. Now it, it happened several days uh, or up to maybe a week or something prior, which takes away some of the, I don't know, validity of it. But like you said, it's, and, and we do wipe it away, but I also don't necessarily know though, in, in the sense of what you were saying, and, and maybe you didn't mean it this way, but I'm not sure we would totally want to discount it either. Because remember, this is something that all these years later is still being, you know, told. And it's still something that stuck out to, enough for Jennifer at the time to to mention to her friend, for her friend to remember, uh, even you know, years later. I, yeah. I think it's still important. That's no, a great point. Extent. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. And and I guess maybe I'm going off my first initial uh, gut, which is why we wanted to have this call right after we got the email, because so we could sort of bounce stuff off each other and see. And I think that's a great point. Uh, the fact that, that that it did matter. Um, that somebody's knocking late at night at 10 o'clock at night or, or, or you know, uh, around there um, is obviously not something that was a normal thing. I don't think it's normal for most people to have somebody come knock on their door at 10 o'clock. So you're right. I, I, there's no way that we can completely throw this out. And, and I don't think the Kessies have thrown this out either. I think the timing of it changes the uh, maybe the importance of it. Uh, but I still think it is important, but it's maybe not one of those five or six key things to the case to use to try to figure it out. I think that it's it's now still a piece, but it's not up there. Um, but again, I don't I also don't think that that's a bad thing per se. I think things do change. And I think when they do change, you you have to take it in a positive way that it's it's just another step in the right direction heading towards the end goal of finding Jennifer. So whether it's something, a piece of evidence coming in or something being debunked, either way, it's still a positive move forward in, in my 
opinion. Um, and, and, and again, I think it's fresh and I'm trying to look at it like that, but I do think that's true. And I think, I think I'll think about this, um, in the same way, uh, even after it's not so fresh 10, 15 minutes, um, after we got the email. So it's, I, your point is, is very good. I think that, that it, it does have to matter because it is something that has been stuck in her mind for all these years. Yeah. And it's, it goes, it certainly goes from, wow, that's crazy. Like that's, there's gotta be something to this to now it's more of, well, that's interesting, but it could just be something completely innocent. And it could have been that before, but it just is more, I think more likely now that it could be unrelated. Not that it's not. And, and I think it's still, obviously you mentioned it, we still consider it but the likelihood, the percentages, and a lot of times for us, it's all about kind of thinking about it in the sense of what's most likely here, or what are the, you know, what's the chances that this could have happened or that could have happened. It, it certainly downgrades that. So, yeah, and I don't dis- disagree with you. I, I think that it actually does help, you know, open up, or, or at least for me, if we're talking about, and, and I guess one of the main things from this too is a lot of people, uh, us probably included, you know, this knock really lended itself to to thinking about her abduction being, you know, taking place that night or, you know, real early in the morning, you know, you know, midnight, 11 p.m., something like that. And this was one of the reasons is like, well, you know, the, that knock on the door, could that have done, you know, had something to do with it? Whereas now without that being part of the puzzle, it's a little easier to get back to the, you know, well, maybe it did take place in the morning as she was leaving for work kind of thing. So it's, it's, you know, I hate to say it, but it's it's the thing with this case. It's it's you know we're up and down, and, and you know what day it is depends on on how we feel about certain aspects of her disappearance. Um, but but today, I mean, I'm I'm glad we got it clarified. And you know, to be honest, we had had these conversations back when, you know, Drew first mentioned it to us. It was like, well, that's weird. We've never heard that before. Um, surely they would have mentioned this before. You know, could he? you know, just be mistaken about when it took in place or could he have just misspoken or something like that? Um, You know, and and it's good. I'm glad that we got clarification, uh, especially, you know, from his end of it, telling us, you know, he actually clarified with the person who had heard uh, this information from Jennifer herself anyways. Uh, And and we know that, you know what, now it did not take place that night. I mean, there's nothing but good uh, from getting out there. I mean, mean, that's why... uh, you know, I, I don't think that we can wait. Um, I, I, I don't think we can wait until the, I know I'm recording this for, for the next episode, but the next episode is like, you know, still several days away. I, I think we need to, to let people know this is, this is that important. And maybe we'll, maybe I'll send a, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll tweet it out or something like that. I, I, I don't know. I, I just, do you think we should wait to, I don't think we should wait. I think we should tell people. Yeah. I think we need to go ahead and get it out there. I don't, th- you know, we're not, this isn't about, you know, trying to, I don't know. Yeah, just let's just get it out there. Oh, and I'm honestly, gonna I'm going to do it right it, now. Okay. Yeah, just send it out because we can still do the episode and we can put this on there if you want. I don't, you know, whatever you want to do with it. But, um, you know, I was just thinking as you were saying that, think about how many times we've, after we heard that from Drew, how it sort of blew our mind a little bit. Like, wait a second. Like, exactly like you said. Wait a second. That, okay. All right. Well, Drew said it. So, um, we have to factor this in now, and this has to matter. And how many times we would we would have theories, or we would have other things that we would think about, and we would say, "Well, well, what about the knock on the door?" We have to factor that in. 
we don't have to factor that in anymore, at least when it comes to discussing things that happened that night. Um, and, and again, I know I've said it a lot of times, but I think that is a, a good thing. I think if it was confirmed, yes, it did happen that night, that would be a good thing too. But I think this is a good thing as well, because now when we're talking, we don't have to keep coming back to that and saying, well, that doesn't make sense with the knock on the door or uh, let's try to fit this in with a knock on the door that night um, because, you know, when you hear that and when her friend is talking about that, it's important. I do think being able to push this aside when it comes to discussing what happened that night is a good thing um, because we we kept coming back to it. And um, I don't know, I'm still a little bit thrown off by it, if you can't tell. But um yeah, it's it's kind of almost weird. So remember that article? I don't know. I can't remember when I sent it to you. Maybe I sent it to you like last week. Um, it was that the the one from the it was on the FBI page about like the behavioral stuff and the memory and all that. Yes, you remember yeah, that yeah, one? Yeah. It's so mm-hmm. weird because like it, this almost kind of plays into that, and and I think that was more about eyewitness testimony than than this kind of thing as is just a recounting of, of something that happened. But it's it's still it's so true. It's so weird, and it's kind of actually. I don't know. I don't know what the word is, but like it's it's kind of weird that that I've been looking at that stuff, and then you know we we get something that happens like this, where yeah, you know what it was it was not recounted um, factually. Uh, you know the date was the date was wrong or whatever, and it, it changes things. And it's I don't know. It's just making me like I'm sitting here listening to you talk, and I'm just thinking about like all this other stuff. I'm like, well, you know, all the other people that we've talked to, you know what how could this apply to them too? And I think that it's weird because we know this all along. Like we've talked about, you know, I think since the very beginning uh, about how, you know, witness testimony can be, um, you know, different, especially after time and, and, and what people remember and, and those kinds of things. Like we've talked about them, but I think it just, when it hits you in the face like this, it, it just makes you question everything again. And, 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 you know, maybe it's something that we have to, to think about more. Uh, I try. You know, I was thinking about some of the, you know, like the lady that we that we talked to from the Huntington on the Green, and the the lady that we talked to from the apartments uh, that that claims that you know Jennifer was coming in there. You know, that stuff is like I, I almost looked at it like black and white, right? Like, okay, this either happened or it didn't happen. Like, is this person telling the truth or is they not telling the truth? Or was this Jennifer or was it just someone else? And, and maybe it's not any of that. Maybe it's you know these certain things are elements that are true. Um, and these other Southern elements are not, not because the person's intentionally doing it, but just because of, you know, mistakes that can happen with memory and, and recall and, and all of that stuff. And I don't know what kind of crazy can of worms that opens and you just question everything. But I guess it's just important to, for us to remember as, as we continue along and, and, you know, it's hard not to think back about all the other stuff and just, you know, it's so hard. Yeah, I think. When people want things to be true, sometimes obviously they uh, can, their mind at least, and I don't think it's intentional. And obviously, it wasn't intentional with Drew. Um, that's that goes without saying. But I think sometimes you, even when you say it out loud, you believe it because it fits with what you're trying to, with what you're trying to do. And I'm sure, you know, something like that is so important that you're like, oh, well, yeah, of course. Or, or the lady, again, that, that with uh, Jennifer coming in um, 
to Huntington on the Green, and she one hundred percent, I think, believes that, and and she does. She told us she, you know, and so it's it's hard because, like you said, it's not that people are lying. People aren't lying. It it's in in. All that stuff could be true, but it does make you start to think. I've thought the exact same thing. As soon as we got that email, I'm like, huh. You know, if if Drew misremembered something or 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 you know made a mistake in telling us something, what else? Um, so I don't know. I I don't want to believe that, you know, stuff that we've done and, and none of it is, you know, has any accuracy. I don't believe that at all either, but it definitely makes you you step back and take another look at it. Yeah, and it's it's not it's this isn't earth shattering. Like we know this. Oh, of course, yeah, right. it's just one of those things. It's like knowing it and then, you know, thinking about the impact that that it could make after something happens, like this. It's just yeah, it's, and, it's different. I don't know. And, well, when it happens, it just sort of makes you take a step back for a second, at least for me. Just just a step back to, um, and I think we've had that uh, those kinds of things happen a lot with this case, though. You have stuff happen and you take sort of take a step back and say, okay, let's reevaluate, um, you know, things that we've done and things that we're going to do. And it, it, what it all comes down to is we keep moving forward, of course, with it, um, regardless of what's happened. We keep moving forward and keep trying to uh, get people to come forward and, and get that little bit of information to find Jen. But um, yeah, this this is just another one of those things in, in the Jennifer Kessie uh, case that... Um, I guess shouldn't be surprising to us, that's for sure. Everyone knows that the quality of your sleep impacts your entire life. From how you feel to your performance at work and in the gym, if you're not getting quality sleep, you're not performing your best. Let's face it, existing sleep aids aren't effective and make you groggy in the morning. You need a natural solution tailored to your specific needs. And that's why I started using Rimrise. Rimrise has had me feeling ready to go in the morning. It's easy to use and the benefits of good sleep speak for themselves. Rimrise is a personalized sleep solution that uses natural plant-based formulas to help calm the mind, relax the body, and get your circadian rhythm back on track for a better, more restorative sleep. It's drug-free and no groggy side effects in the morning. All you have to do is go to getrimrise.com unconcluded and take their free sleep quiz. I took the quiz and it was recommended the Peace of Mind Sleep Program, which is helping me sleep better than ever. And Remrise comes with an awesome digital app that you can use to track your sleep progress and help work toward your goals. So do what I did and check out Remrise today. Go to getremrise.com unconcluded to take their sleep quiz. And when you sign up, you'll get 25% off your first month of Remrise. You won't find an offer like this anywhere else. Get 25% off your first month of Rimrise when you sign up at getremrise.com slash unconcluded. Again, getremrise.com slash unconcluded. 
Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there are some other things for us to discuss today. Just as we were preparing this episode, which initial plans were for us to discuss some new looks at the details surrounding Jennifer's car, a listener sent over something that seemed interesting at the very least. Interesting enough that we'll get back to the car another time. What this person sent over was an article about the conviction and sentencing of a man that the police in Orlando referred to as the East Side Rapist. According to a 2012 article in the Orlando Sentinel, a man by the name of Joel Pappas was sentenced to life in prison for the May 2009 attack of a woman and convicted on charges of sexual battery with a weapon and burglary with assault or battery, among a few other charges. The article also mentioned that he was suspected of three other unsolved crimes in Orange County, of which the police more or less said they believed he was responsible. The attack for which he was convicted was at the Fountains Apartments in eastern Orange County, and the details of that attack is where possible similarities to Jennifer Kessie's case begin. In the attack for which he was convicted, the Orlando Sentinel reported that he wore gloves and a mask and broke into her apartment in the late night, early morning hours, sometime between 11.30 p.m. and 6 a.m. In fact, in all four cases, the one in which he was convicted and the three other that he's suspected in, the women were asleep, home alone, when attacked. Now, once inside the woman's apartment, her hands were bound behind her back, her shirt was cut, and her shorts ripped off. He also put a pillowcase over her head. Additionally, after he attacked the victim, she said that she was made to shower and wash everything, which I can only assume was his way of cleaning up the incriminating evidence. You know, based on this information alone, any possible question for whether this person could be responsible for Jennifer's disappearance, it would just be far-fetched. I mean, for starters, the four victims didn't disappear. They weren't murdered. They were sexually assaulted. Also, this didn't take place in 2006. And although the location was in Orlando area, it's still a good 15 miles from Jennifer's condo. Not exactly what I'd consider close. And the other attacks as well. In Heather Glen off of University Boulevard, Waterside off of Loma Avenue, and Woodlands Apartments on Valencia College Lane. All three of these locations are somewhere within 10 to 20 miles from Jennifer's condo. But I wouldn't be talking about this right now if that was it. Because along with all of this information, we were also sent some additional details. One of which made me sit up in my chair, so to speak. This specific detail was that in 2006, during the time of Jennifer's disappearance, this serial rapist, Mr. Pappas, was likely a resident of Piccadilly Circus Court, an address that belongs to the Huntington on the Green, the condo complex where Jennifer Kessie's car was found. Now, this information is based on criminal records that tie him to this address at that time. Now, learning that detail, it changes the whole perspective. Because if this person was committing these kinds of crimes prior to the convicted offense in 2009, let's say three years earlier in 2006, now we have what I consider something worth looking into further. Now, what we know about this man's crimes is that he was entering homes, and they were multifamily housing to be specific, in the middle of the night and committing heinous acts on women who were home alone. Now, beyond that, he's now connected to the last known location and Jennifer Kessie's disappearance. 
an interesting coincidence at the very least, and perhaps more. Now, based on that 2009 crime, the timing of his attacks would fit within the window of Jennifer's disappearance, late at night into the early morning. The forcing the victim to take a shower detail lends reason to the shower still being wet in Jennifer's condo and gives a reason other than her getting ready for work in the morning. So if we're looking at a nighttime abduction, there's something being explained. Now, while the other crimes that have been thus far tied to this individual did not result in disappearance or death, what we know of Jennifer Kessie, how everyone we've heard from says she would fight back, well, the questions that bubble to the surface, and I probably don't have to lay this out for you, is what would have happened if she had fought back with a clearly violent individual? Additionally, remember the tracking dog that had traced a scent from Jennifer's car back to her condo. When we originally talked about that way back in our early episodes, one of the things that we discussed was what if it was possible for that track to be different than first perceived? I'd even speculated about a bus stop. The POI getting off at a bus stop, walking to Jennifer's condo, later dropping the car off at the Huntington on the Green and walking back to that same bus stop, thus creating a path from the car back to the condo, even though he wouldn't have actually taken the entire path at the same time. Well, here's a new scenario for you to think about. Could the perpetrator have walked from their own place of residence at the Huntington on the Green, which was in the back corner of the complex, somewhat towards Americana Boulevard near the sidewalk? where the POI walked, what if he'd walked from there to Jennifer's condo at the Mosaic at Millennia, then later returned to the Huntington in the Green in Jennifer's car and walked back to his place of residence? This would essentially be tracing the exact path that the dog traveled, much like in the bus stop scenario, just with a different breaking point of the two paths connecting to form one that the dog traveled. Now, I know this is kind of difficult to explain verbally, and I, I hope you're following along. The, the short of it being, if Jennifer's car was found at point A, and her condo is point C, and the dog was reported to have tracked from point A to point C, but what if there was a point B somewhere along that line? If the POI traveled first from point B to C, and then later from A to B, would that not seem to be the same track to a dog tracking the scent? But the location of where this serial rapist lived in 2006, it's just, it's a lot to get over. The path that the POI took from Jen's car, down Downing Street, which is inside of the Huntington on the Green. Well, Downing Street intersects with Tom Drones Street, which is the path one needs to take to get to Piccadilly Circus Court. You know, the same address that this rapist was noted as a resident of in 2006. And, and back to what I was talking about earlier. So based on the types of crimes that this person committed that we know, which is these sexual assaults, is it possible that they could also be responsible for making someone disappear or presumably murder? And that's part of where the dots aren't connected here. But we were also sent information about at least one unsolved sexual assault turned murder that seems to line up, at least based on some of the things that we saw on timing and location, with this individual as well. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that it could have been this person. Right now, I think all of it is a bit thin, and the main thread holding it together is at the Huntington on the Green location, but that's kind of a big thread. And we've had a very short amount of time to consider any of the other links beyond what I've talked about. 
But there's more to look into because is this so-called East Side Rapist someone that could have been active in 2006? And if so, oh no, it sort of changes things a little bit. And it's something that we've turned our attention to a little bit because it just doesn't sit right. But there's so much more to look into. And I have to leave it here for now with the promise of more to come. As always, thanks for listening and participating. If you think you may know something about the disappearance of Jennifer Kessie, the time to come forward is right now. Call the Kessie family tip line at 941-201-4009 and help bring Jennifer home. Music in this episode by PC3, and we'll see you next time.